E ngā mana e ngā reo e ngā kārangaranga maha o te ao, nau piki mai, nau kaki mai ki tēne hōtaka a te ahika. This is our weekly Kaupapa Māori series on RNZ. Ko Justin Murray, tēnei e mihi kawatu, kia koutou katoa. Now this week we continue with the political legacy series Mā Tangirea. Dover Samuels entered politics in 1996. In 1999 he became MP for the Labour Party. As a young student, Samuels remembers being asked to leave his language and tikanga at the school gate. Here, he joins Mihi Narangi Forbes, Anai Te Hotaka o Mātangi Raya. Hūtia te rito te harakeke, whakatairangi tia rereki huta, rereki tai. Ka ki mai koe ke hau e hata mea nui o tene au. Ma kukui atu ke akoe, he tangata, he tangata, he tangata he. Te he mauriara, e te takoto mai, taku waka, tupuna, te mātātua, ki roto o tākau, takoto mai, takoto mai, takoto mai. You grew up in, as you put it, with your feet in the waters of Matauri Bay. What does it mean to be Ngāti Kura? Well, first of all, can I say that uh, <clears throat> I'm looking around the walls of this Whareha's uh, room and I see the leaders, the political leaders of the past it brings a spiritual dimension to myself because I knew a number of them personally. And I see my rangatira up there, Machurata, from Ngatikuri. His background was very similar to mine. And growing up uh, in a very isolated uh, Māori community beside the sea, it was part of our being. Every rock, every island, every beach was part of who we were. And, of course, the history and the whakapapa that went with it uh, was taught to us all as little tamariki around the marae by the kaumātua and the kūkūyas of those days. And even though we were poor, when we talk about poverty, there was no money. But we were rich in other things and other aspects of life. And we uh, lived in a very simple life we were happy and then in my younger in my younger days this is just after the uh, second world war was announced so I was about five six years old when I began going to school of course we all rode our horses to school through the bush there was no road and our school was called Whakarawa Native School Whakarawa Temanga and the school was uh, built underneath it and I remember distinctly and I'll never forget the times that uh, I was told when we got off our horse at the gate, uh, translated, leave your horse outside the gate, leave your language outside the gate, leave your culture outside the gate, because you're entering a different world. And uh, that was my beginning of an attempt by the Crown to disempower me. When you are susceptible 
at a very young age to that kind of influence, then it stays with you forever. And the caning of our, my generation, simply for speaking our language, uh, was something that today's generation uh, would never tolerate, absolutely. As someone who grew up in the North, um, I imagine as a politician you went to Waitangi every single year. Did you do the same as a child, as a young person? What did Waitangi Day mean back then? Well, <clears throat> I wasn't a radical, put it that way. Uh, I wasn't a radical like Horney and Shane Jones. And, you know, <clears throat> I was a more of a, a sort of a moderate. And you're right, I just can't count the, the Waitangi Days that I've attended, and I still attend them. I missed maybe one or two. Uh, but I've seen the change. And <clears throat> unfortunately, Waitangi has been used for political expression by all sectors. The media has got a lot to contribute to that. They were all looking for controversy in the past. But I was there when Norman Kirk was... I was there when the leaders of different nations were welcomed onto those marais. And we were proud as Ngāpui uh, because there was no... You had differences, but you respected your manuhiri. That was the tikanga, and I'd say that that was the kawa of Māoridom right throughout, Pākwaka way. Didn't make any difference whatever you belonged to. And that was very profound. And, of course, that was uh, the image of Waitangi in those days. And good God, how it's changed. How's it changed? Well, I didn't support Hene Whare throwing a bloody wet towel at the Queen or whatever, uh, and I didn't support... Uh, I mean, it demeans... Uh, you, you, you think about it, and some of the instances with Don Brasco throwing mud at and some sort of dildo condong or something thrown at people. You know, <clears throat> the spirit of Waitangi and Waitangi Day is bigger than that, and it deserves respect. You can have differences in opinion, absolutely, uh, but very clearly the tone... Uh, that has uh, evolved uh, from the top marae uh, has been one of accommodation and respect to our Prime Minister and to the Prime Ministers who have been uh, invited up there uh, since it was moved from the Titi marae up to the top, to the, to the Whare Wanai. After serving in the Air Force, Samuels moved to Australia to perform with the Māori show bands. He returned to Matodi Bay in the late 80s, entering the fishing and tourism industries. But in 1996, Parliament called. Samuel stood in Titai Tokero, and while he didn't win the seat, he was elected on the Labour list. What was it like for you? You were 57 when you stepped into this place. Was it overwhelming? Well, <clears throat> I'm listening to Rawiri the other day with his portai on, talking about no wonder... Uh, he can understand how Parkhair feels when they step into the marae. Well, I think the Parkhair was scared to step into the marae because he might have thought that he was going to be put into a hangi. Well, that didn't happen to me here. It didn't happen to me here because I was a senior vice president of the Labour Party uh, for some years. We were told, when you came into the house, keep your mouth shut, open your taringas, open your ears. Uh, do that for three years and you will, you'd do your apprentice and hopefully after the next three years you'll be able to put practical policies into place to help your people. So that was my <coughs> indoctrination as, as uh, a member of parliament in the opposition at that time. 
But I go back to the early times whereby we certainly uh, had some big movers and shakers in the Labour Party. I mean, we were involved in changing circumstances. We had people like Pat Kelly, we had, we had you know, the trade union, and then all of a sudden we had the Messiah, we had Winston rise. With him, took all the Maori seats, and we were pretty poor. We were very thin on the ground. Mm. In fact, the Maori Policy Council, we couldn't even get a bloody quorum. We couldn't get a quorum to have our meetings at the conference. So uh, this is how it was at the time. The landscape was very barren and there was very little support. But we carried on. And slowly but surely, we began to gain the support and the confidence, not just of Māori, of our people. And, of course, the Labour Party has always had a very close relationship uh, with, uh, with Ratana, beginning of the four, you know, four wins when we originally had the, the four Māori members of Parliament. And that's where it all started, but then Labour started to gain traction in terms of the wider, uh, wider public support from the electorate. Uh, but it culminated in a lot of warfare between different personalities. Mm. What was your relationship with, uh, with Helen Clark like? Very professional. Iron lady. Um, uh, she was a professional politician. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Uh, she was unique, but... Uh, she certainly polarised people, not only uh, people within uh, the government, uh, but people outside. She was very avid uh, in, in her vision for where Labour should go, and if you didn't concur with that, well, you were on the sideline. I imagine she leaned on you for cultural guidance, um, you know, when you're at Waitangi and places like that. Do you recall the moment in that whare when she was uh, reduced to tears? Well, I think that, unfortunately, she sort of blamed me for that, in that I gave her the word that I got the commitment I got from the Taumata Kaumatua, uh, or that marae, uh, which I had called a meeting with on a number of occasions, knowing that Titifai would be there and... and uh, you know, and being the matriarch of Ngāpuhi, um, <clears throat> if things didn't go her way, uh, she'd uh, get up and do the haka. Now, uh, they had... Even King Todor was there. And uh, even though that they gave me their commitment, collectively, as soon as Titify got up, they all surrendered. But they ran like hell, and all of a sudden, we've got the Prime Minister... Uh, being challenged by uh, by Titify in terms of the kawa of the marae, and yet uh, the Ngāpui elders and the Kaumata have given had given me their uh, assurance. And of course, when it all erupted, and I, I, I don't blame I don't blame the prime minister. I don't blame Helen for making burst into tears you know, with that kind of performance uh, from Titify and the non-interference. Uh, by those Komata who say that they, they have the authority to be able to sit the kawa for the marae. But looking back, perhaps I should never have taken their confidence and extended that opportunity to, to Helen at that time. A year after the Waitangi incident, Labour won the 1999 general election with Samuel's unseating Tauhenare in Te Taitokerau. 
You became the 39th uh, Minister for Māori Affairs. What was that like? Was that your, one of your proudest well, moments? <clears throat> it was the greatest challenge in my life. What did you set out? What was your plan? Well, one of the first things that I wanted to do was to reintroduce the trade training. Because uh, uh, I remember the Māori trade training programme and many of our young people were, got, were trained as carpenters. And at that time, uh, there were very, very few initiatives in terms of uh, trade training. But uh, it didn't fly, uh, simply because it didn't have the social welfare or the work and income logo to it. This was the Murray Battalion uh, trade training program. So I was disappointed in that. The other aspect of the policy uh, that I initiated was Papakaina housing. And an example of that is Taco Bay now. We've got Ngātira here where they've got Papakaina because of the difficulties that we had of getting finance. And uh, the radu dadu in regard to the utilisation of multiple old Māori land. And sometimes it's our own fault, uh, even though uh, there is uh, funds available for the establishment. And I'm, and, and I'm uh, confident that that will still roll out especially now in these times of housing shortages and un unaffordability of houses for our people, especially in the regions. So you could see a housing issue way Absolutely. back then? Absolutely. I took the select committee and we travelled to Taitokoro, starting <coughs> with the Uriaho, right up to the far north and had a look at the shambles and the shanties. and They're still there now. They're still there now. It's the same thing. It's still there now. There are two aspects of it. To me, our... Uh, the release of land for Māori housing through the Māori Land Court and the status of Māori land, it's got to change. It's got to be made easier. You talk about changes to the RMA, there's got to be changes to the Tūrawhenu Act also. Get rid of the bureaucracy. And for those people, if they've got enough uh, tika, shares of land, let them build their house there and get on with it. And the other one, of course, is the establishment of the Māori television. And I've got to take my hat off to the Minister of Ngātihina, Tauhenare. He was the one who actually initiated that, I picked it up with Helen Clark and then handed it on to Parikura. Because, oh, Māori TV, here we go again. Just like Māori constituency electorates want to fund these Māoris because they want to be on television. So there was arguments, interesting conversations for, for that alone. Uh, but I got to hand it to Tau. Uh, he was the architect of it, and we carried it on. Just a year into his tenure, Samuels was forced to resign his ministerial posts when he became the subject of a police investigation into alleged historical sex crimes. Police found there was insufficient evidence, but Samuels never regained his Māori affairs portfolio. And the architect that initiated that, we all know, was Richard Pribble. Sometimes <clears throat> I regret... And I'm not smacking him between the eyes when we were in the... In the you know, not giving him a, an uppercut, if you like. But there it is. I was a vulnerable target without any justification. I mean, he'd heard it from somebody else and somebody else had told him something. So then he raises it in the house and he raises it with the PM. Did your leadership stand behind you? Well, number one, I think Richard uh, didn't realise he was dealing with a Ngāpuhi warrior at that time. I had all the, all the bloody uh, undercover agents knocking on my door in the beehive. Oh, Dover, yeah. for your own sake, you should resign. Hold on your sword. I realised I had a few mates around. Sandra Lee walked into my door and said, Kikaha matua. Tamarhe walked to my door and said, tell them to bugger off. 
And uh, so I got this, uh, the messages from up the uh, top of the top of the tree, coming down, say, oh, Dover, you know, this is not good for you. These are guys that didn't like me anyway. They got the bloody audacity to come in and tell me I had to step aside. And, uh, so I refused. Simple as that. But, so I got sacked. It was an interesting part of my political life. It was interesting because you begin to see through the veil of hypocrisy. And I was always told, I was, I was told by a number of political friends, when you're out of politics, you realise you have very few friends in politics because when you're there, the underlying ethos of it is I want something from you and you're going to have to pay it back. So that's the level of friendship. But if Samuels thought his hardest days in politics were behind him, he was wrong. Labour's handling of Māori claims to the foreshore and seabed was set to divide Aotearoa. 2004 came about the seabed and foreshore issue mm. really came to, to a head. The right of iwi to challenge mm. uh, the Crown and court was removed. I mean, what were you hearing from home? What was your position? Number one is it was an extremely hard decision to make. There were forces coming at you from all quarters and internally. Uh, we certainly burnt the midnight oil, the whole issue how it can be reconciled and not necessarily in favour of Māori, but don't get Māori offside, but uh, you have to give consideration uh, to the political impact uh, on the nation. And sometimes you can paralyse something by analysis, but Cullen steered it through, but there was still unease, and I'm going to say that uh, whilst Tariana walked away from it, I think if we had all walked away from it, it would have gone ahead without any consideration at all for Māori rights and interests of the seabed. Looking back on it, though, the, the Act, was it wrong? It was a political decision. I mean, there was some challenges in, in regard to the statutes, to the law, and there was challenges to the Act. And at that time, the Cabinet decided that there had to be some clarity given uh, because there were challenges emerging from the courts and uh, there was that political commitment on behalf of the Labour government at that time to resolve it uh, through the political process, hence the genesis of the Māori Party. Uh, and we all know that as a matter of record, but we, we copped a lot of flack through it, and, uh, and I understand that, and I understand that. When did you hear that there was this hikoi starting coming down the country to Parliament? Well, I think that was on the news that there was a hikoi. It was well publicised. I mean, the hikoi itself. When it arrived, though, were you surprised by the size? No, of I wasn't it? surprised. I wasn't surprised. We were all down there. We went down in, in front of the hikoi. I mean, we you know, we copped it. We were the sellouts. Tuddy and I was the matriarch. Simple as that. That's that's how it was painted. That's how it's yeah. How was it for you, coming out to the forecourt? Absolutely. With your whanau yeah. arriving with yeah. buckets of sand and yeah. buckets of seawater and yeah. a whole lot of other stuff. Mm. You know, just on a spiritual level, mm. what was that like well, for you? Well, it, it, was, it was pretty hurtful because the opposition to that was certainly made very clear from what he could have up with. But then again, it's easy to hang on and to expound your feelings when, in fact, uh, you don't have to make a decision uh, 
for the whole country. It wasn't just my view of things. It wasn't just through a Maori lens, because that decision could very well impact upon the wider community that can't, doesn't see things through the Maori lens. Was there a moment there, Dover, that you considered crossing the floor with Tariana? No. I, I, uh, my pedigree with Labour goes back to probably too deep. By the 2005 election, Māori voters were ready to hold Labour to account for its foreshore and seabed legislation. And it was Labour's Māori MPs who felt the full force of their wrath. Labour lost four of the seven Māori seats, including Te Tai Tokerau. In 2005, did you know you were going to lose? I, I, I thought that uh, I, 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 I would be at risk mm. in 2005. You know, how did you feel that election night when that played out like that? I was disappointed, but being in politics for a while, I have to accept that uh, that's the reality of, of politics. There was those highlight times when you had the support and I always say uh, to politicians that riding the high wave now, even this new generation, the time will come. You're sitting on the moma, on the crest of the wave this time, but waves through their nature. There's another side that goes down the other side. What did you make of the Māori Party when they first got... Well, you well there's no comparison. There's, there's, you can't compare because the New Zealand social economic image, if you like, politically, right, has always been blue and red. Then you've got the fringes. Tell me when is the fringes or any party on the fringe, on either the left or the right, really have achieved anything momentous? You've got Donald Duck here now with him, with, with the ACT Party now, he's going around, and then you've got the dancing with the stars, a lot of lovely stuff. You've got all these new people that come in, hooray, you know, here we are, members of parliament. Well, what are they going to deliver? This is the reality of it. If you're not around the table, if, you're not, if you don't hold the reins of power, you deliver nothing. Winston recognised that years ago. Right? And he's the only Houdini who's got a, 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 a minor party that really pulls the levers. That's why he gets up the, you know, the nose of many people who historically and politically have been in charge of the levers. So here comes this kingmaker from Ngatiwai, and he says, if you want to sit on that throne there, you're going to have to let me pull the levers. Looking at this current government, you know, who do you most admire? Who do I admire? Well, I've got to admire the Prime Minister. And what I've advocated is that the wind has been behind him. The natural phenomenon that has bestowed the election and the timing, it uh, couldn't be more divine. Now, the challenge, of course is to steer the waka. And sometimes when the trade winds blow so strong in your favour that it becomes too fast, it becomes too powerful for you to control. And the likelihood of going off course is very real. If you've got a new group of crew that really haven't had the opportunity of handling this waka under uh, those kind of prevailing conditions. And, and this is why I think the Prime Minister was very fortunate in the early days of coalition. You had the navigator there that knew how to steer by the stars, and that was Winston. There's the Kaumatua there. This is unprecedented 
first-past-the-post-Walker government. It's got a huge mandate, unprecedented mandate. They have to deliver. And, of course, we have the die-in-the-wood politicians that believe the only medicine is an economic revival. Well, that's only one of the challenges. There are a number of others. They've got to line the political stars up so that, in fact, the nation can move forward. How would you like to... This is Pātai Whakamutunga. How would you like to be remembered? Well, this is what somebody said to me the other day. Uh, they said, Dover, somebody said that you're a life member of the Labour Party. Well, yeah. And I said, while I'm still alive, absolutely. That's how I want to be remembered. Tēnā kōrua, mihi Rangi Forbes with former Labour Party MP Fōtitai Tokero and the 39th Minister of Māori Affairs, Dover Samuels. Now this interview featured as part of the political legacy series Mā Tangirea. All of the video and podcast episodes are available now at rnz.co.nz. Hey Tērā Wiki, next week. In 2011 when I stood for the first time as a, a list-ranked candidate, and Jacinda was the candidate, I actually felt like a wet dish rag between the, these two women. And the sexism from the media was quite shocking. You know, there was the Battle of the Babes, uh, which was Jacinda and Nikki Kay. There was a cartoon of the three of us on poles going, and it was called Pole Dancing. I was kind of perturbed by the scrutiny. Former Greens MP Denise Roche joins Scott Campbell on the next episode of Mā Tangirea, as featured here on Tiahika. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can of course email tiahika at rnz.co.nz. Ko ea, tēnei wahanga, hoki mai hei tērā wiki, tēnā tātou katoa.